This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad on it. The scripture reading today is from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If we first can come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, this is indeed the day that you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad on it. Help us to know who you are and whose we are by the reading of your word. And we are reminded in the catechism what your word tells us, that it is only by your spirit bearing witness by and with scripture in our hearts that we are able fully to understand this word. Help us to understand this word, Jesus. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The reading from the scripture is found on 1007 of your pew Bible. It's Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of God for the people of God. Through 35. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we're in this passage where the writer of Hebrews is applying the, um, um, what it means that if Jesus is greater than the priesthood, greater than the temple, greater than the sacrifice, and has done away, fulfilled the old covenant, and established a new covenant, 
that we do draw near with true hearts, sprinkled um, clean, that we come to him, that we consider that if, if we have such a high priest that we draw near with confidence to hear, enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that we come to the true temple through the curtain of his flesh, that we do this and we have this invitation, but we also have a warning. We have a very sober warning to not forsake such an invitation. If we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. One of the things that Christians argue about, which itself could be an extended list, but one of the things that we kind of discuss and debate is whether or not someone can trust in Jesus and lose their salvation. Now, so many things are part of that of, you know, exactly when we're understanding someone being a Christian and regeneration and, and things like that. But I, I don't think this is saying that if you've been following Jesus and you stumble into sin, you're out of luck. Jesus's blood doesn't work anymore for you. I, I, this is not saying that if you have professed faith and if you've really trusted in Jesus and you've grown and you stumble and you sin, then Christ's blood is no longer effective. Now, this, this is saying if you have been told the gospel, if you have come to a knowledge of the truth, that is, someone has explained to you that we have rejected God and deserve God's wrath, but God in his great love for us sent his only begotten son who is fully God, fully human, that he lived a perfect sinless life and that he went to the cross on our behalf to suffer the punishment that we deserved. If you've heard this message of the gospel that if you will only trust in him, his blood purifies you, sprinkles your heart clean, renews you and brings you into an everlasting life, a relationship with God that will never end. If you've heard that, if you've received the knowledge of the truth, and then you say, yeah, no thanks. I've got this on my own. I'm not that bad. Yeah, no thanks. Um, I think I can work hard enough and get myself straight. You know, that sounds good. You do you. I'm going to do me, and I'm just going to have as much fun as I can, and um, I can't believe in a God of judgment. Or at the time of the Hebrews, yeah, this is a great news about Jesus, but, you know, those pagan gods are really cool. Have you seen the dances that the girls do? I mean, it, it, there would be something of you're hearing this message and you say, no, thank you. I'm going to deliberately continue in my rebellion against this God. I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do because when we're talking about sin, we're not talking about acts so much that we, we, we all continue, that, that, that we're, we're told in First John that we, if we say we're not doing, that we deceive ourselves. What we're saying is if we've deliberately chosen a path of I'm going to continue to live on my own terms rather than in God's terms, I'm going to continue to rebel against him, whether that's in thinking I can be good enough or whether it's saying I'm just going to have as much fun as I can, 
if that's the attitude that someone has taken, that I don't need this gospel stuff, you don't have another option. There is no other sacrifice for you. The old covenant sacrifice is done away with. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. There's not another sacrifice to come that's going to be another option if you don't like Jesus and want to choose something else. And you'll deceive yourself if you think you can do it on your own. What he's saying is, if you know this message and reject it, you're rejecting your only chance. The only hope we have is in the crucified Christ. And if we hear that message, and whether that is someone coming to you and sharing that message and you saying no thanks, or whether that's becoming a member of the church and living in the church and participating in the life of the church, but never in your heart truly bending the knee and saying, he is my Savior, I'm trusting in him, there is no other hope. And so that is the warning. You have the message of this gospel of one who died for you and extends his grace and invites you to come not in your own worthiness, but in what he has done, and if you will not, all that remains is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's what we look forward to if we do not come to Christ. If we do not receive his grace and mercy and trust in him, what we face is condemnation and judgment. I think everyone has this sense of guilt that they bear. Now, they try to cover it up. They try to, I think part of the outrage that we face in um, so much of what we hear in the media is people trying to cover up their own sense of guilt by blaming others. And if, hey, at least I'm in better than other people. But everyone knows we don't live up to our standards, much less God's standard. We, we know that we don't do all that we ought to do. There's a sense of guilt that we bear. And in that guilt, I, I think we're bearing witness what Scripture tells us. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. We will stand before the one who created the heavens and the earth. He will judge the living and the dead. We will face his judgment. And if we are not in Christ, all that remains is the fury of fire. As I was sharing at Mount Carmel this morning, that feels so weird to say. It feels so strange to say there is a hell to avoid. There is a hell that awaits anyone who is not in Christ. Because it's so out of step what we want to say. It's so out of step with we want to just say, hey, everything's going to be okay, but it's so weird to talk about a hell and a condemnation and a judgment. I mean, we joke about those hellfire and damnation preachers. Anyone who says that, isn't that an extremist? But it's Scripture. And if we follow the Bible, the Bible warns us against a hell and if we say we follow Jesus, no one spoke about hell more than Jesus Christ. No one used more graphic images than Jesus Christ. And if we follow him, we have to understand the reality of hell. 
And many of y'all know the reality of hell. Many of you have tasted the reality of hell. You've gotten a glimpse of what it is to be so chained to something that you want to stop, but you can't stop. You, 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 You know the hell of wrecking havoc in relationships and looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, is this who I am? Many of us know that the, the emptiness of a hell of trying to pursue things and getting it and thinking, is that all there is? Many of us have watched loved ones going through that hell. And that is only a glimpse of the judgment of God giving us over to what we desire and what our actions are bringing upon us and what is deserved And that is the reality that is warning us against, warning the household of God, warning the church. Here is his argument. If anyone sets aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy, how much worse will the punishment be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant? Lesser to greater. Law of Moses, you reject it, there's a death penalty. Our own civil government. There's punishment for breaking the law. How much more for having God's mercy extended to us, the blood of Jesus offered to me an undeserving sinner and saying, yeah, I don't need that stuff. It's spitting in the face of a merciful God. To hear that he gets mercy and to say, I don't need Jesus' blood, is to trample the blood of the covenant, is to outrage the spirit of grace. Mercy offered and rejected deserves more, he's saying, than the law of Moses being broken. He gives us two verses to show this argument. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. God has said sin will be held accountable for. He will bring vengeance And again, the Lord will judge his people. Those, we will all stand and be judged. And so he's pointing to verses to remind us that we are going to face a judge. We're either going to face under the blood of the covenant or in our own strength. And to take and hear the message of Jesus and say, I'm going to live how I want to live. I might call myself a Christian. I might receive the sacraments. I might put my name on a church roll. But in my heart of hearts, I'm going to live as though I am God is a fearful thing. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. I grew up being told, Every time I read the the phrase that's throughout Scripture, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, being told, well, we're really not to be afraid of the Lord. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's not a fearful thing to fall into the hands of no God, nothing. That's what most of the world seems to be saying. All you see now is all there is. There's only material. Once you die, that's it. Nothing we do matters or has any consequences. 
And then we wonder why people live as though their actions have no consequences. There's nothing to be afraid of if you die and there's no God. Anything is permitted. What matters? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's not a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the God of my imagination. And each one of us are tempted to take ourselves and to blow it up really big and say, that's God. And you're never going to be afraid of falling into the hands of a God who's only an imagination, a figment of your imagination. My God amazingly would vote exactly like me. The God of my imagination, my sins are graded on a curve, and amazingly, mine, they're excusable. Yours, oh, they deserve bad judgment. The God of my imagination just agrees with everything and accepts my excuses, and I am not afraid to fall into the hands of the God of my imagination. It's not a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the God of the age. That changes every 20 years, so you've got to figure out what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, but if you just kind of do what everybody else is doing, there's no fear there. But it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. He is a God who doesn't excuse us for the things that we think should be excused. He's a God who we don't control. He's a God that we can't bargain with because he doesn't need anything we have. He's a God who is perfectly just. He's a God who's not going to be deceived, even though I can delude myself and deceive myself. He is a God who sees all and will judge all with perfect justice. And we will all stand before him to give an account. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. For he is not the God of the imagination. He is the God of the Bible. He is a God who has given us commands. And as much as we want to twist any of his words to be something that we can follow or we want to follow or what it seems acceptable to the world around us, his word stands forever and we will give an account. So... We remember this is for us. The people of God hear this message, which means if I've been listening to this and I'm thinking of somebody else who really needs to hear this, you've missed the point. If you're, imagine, if you're thinking of other people that you want to share and say, you need to hear this. Now, this is for me. This is for you to look at yourself and to think, am, am, am I trusting in him? Am I deliberately sinning? Am I turning away from him? Because it is a warning. It's a warning of what we face, and we have to examine our own hearts in this. And so we are not to judge. The Lord is judge. So we examine our own hearts. And if you do so, and if you find yourself convinced of sin, that is a good sign that it is the living God speaking to you. I would never convict myself of sin, but the, the Spirit of God working in your heart is, as we're saying this, and if it's pointing things to you, that's a good sign there is a living God and not a God of your imagination showing you the sin of which you need to repent. The second thing is we remember this is not a secluded passage. 
this as part of a passage. There is a warning, but the warning is to draw us to the invitation. And the invitation is not saying, therefore, get yourself together and be a better person. It's saying his mercy is there, his grace is there, the blood has been shed for you to bring you into relationship with God. Draw near to him. Draw near to him because his wrath is great, but his mercy is greater. Judgment is sure, but so is his promise of forgiveness and grace. And we hear this message not warning us that there's no hope, but warning us not to reject the hope that is offered to us that we draw near to him in faith with a clean conscience that has been sprinkled clean and a true heart that is trusting in him, knowing that we have been washed clean and are is received into life with him. And we stand before a judgment. We will face judgment. But if you are in Christ, you stand before him, washed pure by the blood of the Lamb. Praise be to God. Amen.